was reminded of a story of a little old lady that um, rode her mule 20 miles to hear a preacher. And uh, after he preached a couple of hours and dismissed, she went up to the preacher and jumped all over him. She rode 20 miles and all she heard was two hours. So I don't see her here today, but uh, maybe looking for her. Anyway, this is, uh, have your Bibles turned to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. They begin by asking, what happens when you die? Well, for Christians, <clears throat> according to the Apostle Paul, death is not a disaster, but a departure. Be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I'm departing this life. And that departure is to a place called heaven. And I want to talk about that today, and uh, I hope that uh, I don't bring any strange doctrines. I just try to see what's here. Hopefully the Lord will direct us. Even though the current death rate is right at 100%, most people are not prepared for dying. They, uh, they don't really understand that heaven is not our autopilot, our default destination. They somehow think, you ever been to a funeral? I've never been to a funeral where the person didn't go to heaven. Everybody seems to think they're going to go to heaven. But actually, that's not our default destination. We're actually headed, each one of us, straight for hell. And in order to alter that uh, autopilot setting to hell, we have to change that, uh, what the Bible calls change is called repentance. We have to turn from that heading and turn to the right heading. We, really, you know, we, we repent of our sinful self-reliance in running my life and we give that life over to the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to run. And we trust His saving work for us to forgive our sins and uh, to bring us into His eternal heaven. Now once you do that, then certainly you're obligated, according to the Scripture. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says here, and have your Bibles. We did a lot of flipping and turning. I want to try to do that. I don't do that much anymore, but I really should. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to flip around and look, see what the Bible says. It says here in Colossians 3, <clears throat> 3, or 3.1, Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above. That's actually a command. You're to set your mind. So once we've uh, had this autopilot setting corrected by the work of Jesus Christ, we're to set our mind on things above, things in heaven. You should be walking around singing Beulah Land or in the sweet by and by. That should be songs on our mind when we're mowing the lawn or whether doing the dishes or what have you. Let me also add that man's belief in heaven and the afterlife is something certainly is taught in the scripture. Um, and it's also built into us, I think, at the genetic level. Uh, scripture says in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said eternity in their hearts. So everybody has this desire to live forever. And uh, one of the issues, in, one of the issues we run into a lot in life is that uh, man has these deep longings for a paradise on earth or to live forever. And so usually what happens is man's failed attempt at this comes up with some kind of a 
Marxist utopian hell on earth. It's kind of where our country's headed. We're probably about one election away from something like that. But anyway, uh, there's no, no heaven on earth here by man's accomplishment. We're never going to do that. I mean, we spent 6,000 years and we haven't done it yet. We're not going to do it. And added to this, our thinking about heaven is always kind of messed up. Um, <clears throat> it's filled with a lot of speculative uh, and subjective foolishness where we somehow are waiting for the day when we get our wings and our halo and our harp and, our, and we float around on clouds. That's a lot of foolish subjective thinking in this. And that's certainly uh, most of this ghost-like ethereal ideas of heaven uh, really come from this long-standing influence by an early Christian heresy called Gnosticism, which basically taught that everything material, physical, was evil. I mean, you're, man is basically a spirit and he's trapped in this physical body. He's got to get out of it. The whole monastic order was based on that. It was just, life is so physical, i got to get away from it. And so that's basically has infected the church, has affected how people think. Um, this kind of an anti-earthly theology, if you will, does affect how we think of things, especially heaven. Um, in fact, they would they would take something in the scripture, they would run run across something in the scripture that sounded physical or earthly. Well, they'd have to change that. No, it doesn't mean that. You have to look beyond that to a deeper uh, spiritual significance underneath these words. For instance, if I said, three men prepared a meal for their children, what does that mean? Well, it means three men <laughs> prepared a meal for their children. Unless you happen to hold the viewpoint of these people, then, oh no, it's the Trinity prepared the Lord's Supper for His church. You see, it doesn't say that, but they say it says that. They bring that idea to the Scripture just as they bring their ideas to heaven. And they say, well, no, this doesn't mean that. And so when you see some physicality in what we're looking at today, just remember, how are you looking at that? Are you looking at it the way you really should look at it? I think um, it seems to me that when the Bible speaks about heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, it uses plain, ordinary words that generally mean what they seem to mean. Are you with me on that? If it says this, it probably means this. If it means something else, we get to heaven and we're going to go, wow, how about that? But anyway, <laughs> uh, let me just say, <clears throat> uh, you can take most of what I say this morning as just an attempt at trying to figure out what some of these things actually mean, some sanctified possibilities, I guess, regarding heavenly things. I, I would in, encourage you, if if I put some puzzle in your mind, that you, you read up on this. Uh, J. Wilbur Smith's got a great book on heaven. John MacArthur's got a great book. I really recommend uh, uh, <clears throat> Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. It's one of the newer books. really like his book. So today we want to look at these three issues with regard to heaven. Here we find in Revelation 21 where he speaks about <clears throat> the eternal state, the new me, and 
our new relationships. We'll try to deal with these things. Let me just say, first of all, if you'll turn back over the beginning of the book of Revelation, if you will, everybody thinks Revelation is a bugaboo. You don't want to get in there because there's stuff in there that's just creepy and strange and all this other stuff. But let me just say, first of all, that the book of Revelation, notice verse 1, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the hiding or the obscuring of Jesus Christ, but it's the revealing of Jesus Christ. I don't think that the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic hidden book, mysterious book. I think it's it should be taken in its plain sense. Actually, it, it also says it's a, it's a prophecy. It, it tells you what kind of book it is. It's not an apocalyptic book. It's a prophecy. All right? So that's the way we're going to take this. All right? So we're looking at chapter 21. Um, and it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. First of all, heaven is the first work of God's creation. It says in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created what? The heavens and the earth. Notice so creation starts where? Heaven. Starts here. Works its way down to the earth. Uh, so it's the starting point uh, in this drama of redemption that the Scripture is all about. And it uh, basically it's... Uh, Heaven is this mysterious, if you will, counterpart of earth. The term heaven occurs some 582 times, almost always in the plural, except it's speaking about a specific place. And the present heaven is comprehended by means of three distinguishable realms, according to the Apostle Paul. If you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians, where he speaks of uh, an experience, I believe, that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my fingers don't work like they used to. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 verses, uh, I'll start with uh, 1, verse 2. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know. Out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Are you with me? You still with me here? He had an experience, probably when he was stoned and drug out of the city for dead, he had this experience where he actually went to the third heaven. Keep in mind, if there's a third heaven, there's probably a first and a second. Wouldn't you agree with me? Okay, so he's in the third heaven, and he calls this third heaven. He goes on to say, I was caught, he said, I get verse 3, he repeats this, I, I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. He's having trouble understanding whether he had a body when he was there. Okay, he gets that. I'll come back to that later. He said, was caught up. He was raptured, snatched up to this paradise, he says. And I heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to say. So apparently, if there's a third heaven, the present heaven is called the third heaven. Then there must be a first heaven, a second heaven. So certainly, um, the first heaven, I think, speaks of this atmospheric blanket or circles the earth that we breathe. Actually, it's referred to, a, there's a specific Greek word. It's our word air, except it's spelled A-E-R. But anyway, it's, it's the air, the atmosphere that we breathe. It's where the birds fly. And this term was used by the Greeks to say everything below Mount Olympus was the air. 
But also the Scripture says in Ephesians 2.2 that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. That's the limit of his realm is the air. Of course, if you control the air, you pretty much control everything. Think of a country that might control everything with regard to the air. It's also the place, it says in um, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and we'll be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the same place, in the air. Satan's domain. I guess Jesus has to come down to make sure we make it out of Satan's domain. I don't really know what that's about. But anyway, it's the same word, the air, this atmospheric blanket that surrounds where that's the second, that's the first heaven. Second heaven is outer space where the sun, moon, stars are and where distance is measured in light years. And it's apparently through these two heavens that our Lord Jesus was said to have passed to the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, plural. First one, second one, into the third heaven. So, uh, Jesus passed through these two heavens. And our text speaks of this, uh, this he- new heaven and a new earth. Um, apparently the first two heavens uh, <clears throat> are going to be greatly transformed and this present third heaven is, is going to be greatly altered. Apparently this third heaven is a transitional heaven or a heaven that's going to be replaced by another heaven. So it's displaced by the final eternal heaven. So this heaven, when you think of going to heaven, we're going to our intermediate spot right now. It's kind of like I'm going to go to, to Dallas by way of Ardmore. I, I, I'm not, Ardmore is not my destination. The, the destination is Dallas. And our destination is not this present heaven, but it's the one that's going to be renewed and it's going to come down and rest on the earth. We're going to dwell with God there. So that's kind of the way you should view that. <clears throat> So apparently he's going to renew the whole created order. Heaven's going to be renewed, moved to the earth, and it's going to be the eternal dwelling place of God and our eternal home. There's a new heaven, but there's also a new earth. Um, Keep in mind the present earth is also unique. It happens to be the one place where God chose for redemption to be played out in the whole universe. This is the spot right here, earth. And so that makes earth a unique place. It's a, the drama of redemption to be finally make, uh, God's going to make it our, our eternal home. Um, this new earth that we're talking about here that God's going to make will have some continuity with the old earth. Uh, remember after the flood of Noah, there was continuity. The earth, there was still an earth there. And uh, apparently all the animals left. Okay, I, I remember that something like this before before the flood, all right? So the great drastic change with the flood, there was still continuity between the old earth and the new earth, except for sin. Except for sinners, a whole world of sinners, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> and again, you and I live in this physical, spatial uh, reality called earth, and uh, for us to get an idea of eternity... We don't need to expect that we're going to get wings and a harp and a halo and all that stuff. If you have, if you want to understand what heaven's going to be like on the new earth, you just have to look around. 
just look around, except you have to look around and understand there won't be any more sin, there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more corruption. Keep in mind that salvation doesn't rescue us from um, the material world, but rescues us from sin and its consequences. Now, Peter says this basically a couple more times in the Scripture. In uh, his second sermon in the book of Acts, he says uh, that God is going to restore everything. He says in Acts 3.21, whom the heaven, singular, must receive until the period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke in the mouth of His holy prophets in the ancient time. So he mentions about God's going to restore everything. And then he he repeats this again in 2 Peter. I'm going to turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3, a difficult passage. It's kind of hard to figure out what all these... And it's translated in so many different ways because the words are difficult. He says here in 2 Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conversation? God. So let me see if I can figure this out. First of all, he says <clears throat> that the heavens are going to pass away. That word pass away just means to be removed. Um, it's, Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until heaven and earth. So actually... People die, we say, he passed away. Did he cease to exist? No, he went from here to there. He's he's changed. So the earth is going to be changed, if you will. Going to be removed from its present condition, if you will. Released from sin's bondage. And physically raised and released and upgraded. Paul says in... Romans chapter 8, that the whole earth is now groaning. It says in in Romans 8, for the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not of its own will, because of him that subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free. Not destroyed, but set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together even until now. So this is the idea that the earth and the heaven are going to be released from any sin that has been hindering it and affecting it. And then it says the basic elements, those from the very, it goes to the basic atomic structure of this, this earth, if you will, is going to be destroyed. That word there is, Little word luo. If you learn Greek, you have to know luo, luais, luete. It's a chart that you have, all right. But this just means to set free, to to loosen. It's the it's the same word that's used when I'm not worthy to loosen his sandals. That's the same word here. It's also the same word that we find here in Revelation chapter one, uh, verse five, where it says um, to him who loves us and releases us from our sins by His blood. King James says, washes us, but it's the same idea of loosing us, setting us free 
from the present bondage that we're held under. So it's going to unloosen, set free. And then he adds a third thing, the earthworks will be burnt up. Uh, the idea, the same word also means to be found out. Uh, Herod says, go find out where this child is born. This is this word. Somehow, it's gonna, something's gonna happen and we're gonna find out what, what, what's holding the earth back and what's, and what's the new, new, what's the real idea behind the earth. This is the idea. So it means to, uh, to expose, to release, to remove that which was designed by Satan to destroy and ruin the earth. And that's really what's going on. So it's a principle of, keep in mind there's this principle of redemptive continuity where God rarely scraps everything and starts over. Instead, He takes a fallen, corrupted creation and releases and restores it, renews it, to its original design so that it has this fundamental continuity and significance, if you will. Think about your conversion. God made you what? A new creature, new creation, didn't He? Oh, a new creature is created in Christ Jesus. You know, when we, when we were converted, we were radically transformed. The Lord set us free from sin. Uh, but we're still us. We didn't become a different us. We're still the same us. We have the same appearance. You would hope he would have upgraded that a little bit, but it's same appearance, same history, same memory, same interests, same skills. All our friends see a lot of changes in us, but they still know you're you. You're still you. Even our dog knew that was still us after we were converted. See, it's a radical change, but it's the same us. The same earth, but it's going to be radically changed when the Lord creates. The word here is regenerates the whole heavens and the whole earth. Just like He regenerated us. Life in the eternal state is not going to be the starting point of history, but the removal of everything sinful, every impurity, going to keep everything that's holy and good and develop that the way it's supposed to be, the way God intended for it to be. So we have this new heaven, we have a new earth, then we have a new Jerusalem. That's the spiritual capital of this renovated earth will be God's headquarters called Zion, be the center of the universe, gates of pearl, streets of gold, you read that. Um, and this uh, new Jerusalem apparently comes down out of heaven to earth as a bride made ready. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, it's, the, it's the crown jewel of the universe. It's something in, indescribably glorious. I mean, I don't think I've seen many streets of gold or things like that. I don't really... It's going to be something wonderful to behold. Uh, Revelation 21.16 says, <clears throat> And the city is laid out as a square. The length is as great as the width and the measure of the, the city with a rod. 1,500 miles length, width, height, equal. So it's a cube that stretches from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico from the Rocky Mountains to the eastern seaboard. That's how big the city is that God's making. It seems to be a cube 
maybe a pyramid. I wonder where they get the idea of pyramids in the ancient world. But Satan's always trying to duplicate something, and that may be it. I don't know. Um, but it's going to be a beautiful city. Uh, it's going to be adorned with different kinds of precious stones and materials, uh, something that might that would befit the house of God, if you will, the place where God would reside. The ground floor, again, covers some two and a half million square miles. It's going to be plenty of room. You know, I have to worry about, I hope they can fit me in. <laughs> they can fit you in, believe me. Um, <clears throat> basically, <clears throat> it says that this, uh, it, it seems to have the same structure, conditions, and activities and features of the present earth, except greatly expanded, greatly exaggerated, if you will. Has another feature in the city beside the, beside the, how beautiful and the dimensions and the materials. It mentions in uh, verse one that there's a river, uh, the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down of God. <clears throat> and it says that there's this river. I believe it's 22.5. I'm on the wrong. Yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> 22 verse one. And he showed me a river of water of life. Clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on the either side of the river was tree of life and every month it yielded its fruit. Uh, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer any curse in it. The Lamb and God will be in it. And um, no longer any night and this kind of stuff. So apparently there's, in the New Jerusalem, there's this river of life that flows down through the center of the city. And it, um, it's interesting, we preached on Psalm 46 not long ago. Verse 4 says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. That's the river we're talking about. It's a real river. It's a real city. We're going to be real people. This is real. This is not some floaty, ghost-like existence in your imagination. This is a real city. This is real water. And it flows down through the center of the city. And on either side of this, there's this, uh, the tree of life, it says, grows, kind of a, some kind of a type of tree that produces 12 kinds of fruit 12 times a year. Maybe apples in the month of May. Something like that, you know, where there's different fruit every month, something different on these, the tree. Um, the tree of life. Interesting. Keep that in mind. Uh, it's for the healing of the nations. I don't know how the leaves, I don't know whether they smoke them or put them on them or what, but somehow or another, the leaves of this tree are for the benefit of the, the redeemed in, in eternity. Um, it's the idea of probably enhancing us, sustaining us. We'll always be physical beings. You understand that? You will not be God. We saw on the, 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 the video earlier, you're God. You're never going to be God. You will always be a finite, created human being. And as such, <clears throat> our health doesn't come from us. Our health comes from God. So we've caught, we will ever look to Him to provide our health and our strength and whatever. So we'll be partaking of God's gracious provision throughout all eternity. Uh, we'll be sustained and renewed as we constantly depend upon Him and the means that He's provided for us. So keep that in mind. 
Then you have this paradise of God, which is implied in all this. The garden, the trees and the river. Where do we hear about that? It seemed like we heard about that in Genesis 3, wasn't it? Where there, God planted a garden, put Adam and Eve in the garden, and the tree of life was there. So apparently, we're talking about this same paradise of God, this Garden of Eden. Again, this is this Garden of Eden. That's not some spiritual allegory. That's a real garden. It was really in Eden with some real people in there, right? So this Garden of Eden, <clears throat> an actual physical place where God and mankind lived together before the fall, and it's surrounded by physical beauty and happiness. But of course, after the fall, man was driven out of the garden, it says, and cherubim, these flaming messengers of God, these pure spirit beings, angels, uh, guarded the way so that nobody could go back to that and eat of the tree of life and live forever in their fallen sinful condition. That was for our benefit. Uh, but it does seem <clears throat> that uh, somehow this Garden of Eden was not destroyed, but apparently retains its identity and its physical physicality, but was removed to a different place, and that place seems to be the third heaven. Paul was caught up to the third heaven where paradise of God is what he called it. So apparently, that's where he went, that's where it was. So it's now said to be in the paradise, in heaven. Um, at least till the New Jerusalem movers show up. And then they're going to move it down to earth with New Jerusalem. There's going to be some new features on earth as well. Um, it says that there will no longer be any sea. Some of these things, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you about some of this stuff because I don't know. It just mentions it kind of in passing like, yeah, there won't be any this, won't be any that. What, what was that again about this? So they're not going to be any sea, no more oceans. It seemed like when God originally created the heavens and the earth and he created earth's uh, seas, and he pronounced them good, Genesis 1, 9, and 10. But apparently after the fall, and even after the flood, they've, they've been increased. They're, it, the seas are much bigger now. And maybe now they have this uh, saline factor, which is a, a salty antiseptic to cleanse the earth, and actually make, makes life possible. So, no more seas. I, I don't know might forget the beach house and the fishing trips because they're not supposed to be more seas, okay? So, But then again, it may be that there will be greatly reduced seas and no more seas like there are now. And maybe there'll be freshwater seas. The river of life flows into something. Um, you see what I'm talking about? You have to think in terms of, well, what was it here and how is it going to be there? Uh, it says in Isaiah 65 that the wealth of the seas will flow into New Jerusalem. So apparently there's going to be something like that. Um, Randy Alcorn says that maybe just the problem is associated with the seas and the ocean, with it, its depth, its expanse, the cold waters, uh, destruction of ships and lives and people drowning. Maybe those fearful things about it will be removed. And I'm sure that's probably true. And also there's no more sun and moon. Another problem here. Uh, the implication is that the, uh, there won't be these two objects in the sky. Revelation 21, 23, 22, 5. 
Isaiah 60:19. I know when God created the heavens and the earth, before He created the sun and the moon, He was the light. I mean, He didn't have an extension cord up here. He was the light, right? So He, he didn't need the light, but He is the light. Um, but at any rate, He created these sun and moon uh, to provide light for us on the earth. Um, it seems, and of course with Jesus being the light of the world and there, they wouldn't need any other light. That kind of makes sense. But again, um, I, I just don't have any answer for that one. That's a, that's a tough one. Uh, it certainly affects my next topic, which is the darkness. Uh, there'll be no more light, no more night, it says. What about that? No more night. No more sun. No more moon. No more night. It's all going to be brightness, and I can kind of understand that. And uh, you'd be able to—you won't need a flashlight. I mean, you know, I mean God's presence here on the earth it illumines everything. It illumines your life. But um, it, I'm inclined to take it as meaning the whole earth's going to—there's no night. It's going to be everywhere you go. You'll be able to see fine. You won't need a light. And certainly, God could do this, but again. When you read this, <clears throat> let's look at that. It says in 2125, that's your Bibles there? It says in the daytime, there should be no night there, its gates shall be closed. Wait a minute. Back up to verse 23. It says, this city, this new Jerusalem that ascended on the earth, the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is illumined in the lamp and the lamp of the Lamb and the nations shall walk by its light. In the daytime, it says verse 25, there shall be no, no night there, and the gates not be closed. You know, we, and when this was written, they didn't have a New York. They didn't have a Chicago. When it was dark, you shut the, you shut the city gates and everybody went to sleep. You went to bed. Pretty smart people back then. But anyway, you didn't have lighting. So you, sh- and notice this is always connected with the city and the gates being shut. They're not going to shut up them. The gates are always open. So this may have something to do with just the city that we're talking about here. I don't know. Maybe there's still the sun and moon. There's still light and dark. I don't know. You'll have to correct me when we get there. All right. So you said this. Look at this. You were wrong. All right. We'll have to see about that. And of course, there's no mention of sleep. Uh, certainly God never sleeps or slumbers, but Adam and Eve slept, apparently. Jesus slept. Can't be sin. Can't be a human imperfection. So if we eat, walk, serve, laugh, play, we may also sleep. You know, we're still physical. We're still, we're still gonna be physical human beings. Alright? Greatly upgraded. But we're still physical human beings. Um, <clears throat> To me, the, the real problem here is looking at this and thinking, well, it's not going to be time anymore because these things were connected with the seasons, the date, the times, and that kind of stuff. We know it's daytime. <laughs> we know it's nighttime. But really, the concepts like these things imply there will be time, but I think there's going to be time in the eternal state. We have Revelation 10, 6, uh, mistranslation, the King James says, and the angel stood on the shore and, and he pronounced, time shall be no more. Well, actually it says it's delay. There's not going to be any more delay in the judgments from God. It doesn't mean time isn't going to be anymore. Um, 
it, it seems like to me that uh, God is the only one that's eternally self-existent. The whole created order exists everlastingly with this, the, within this continuum we call time. Uh, Buswell defines time as that which has to do with the abstract possibility of relationships in durational sequence. That's a big mouthful. But actually, that just means there will always be a before, a during, and an after. That's what time's all about. Time's kind of like a number. You ever eaten a number? Have you ever, you ever played with a number? You ever seen a number, in fact? A number is an abstract possibility. That's what time is. And let's just look at a couple of places here in Revelation. Chapter 6, verse 10. It says, I broke the fifth seal. The souls under the altar been slain for their faith. It says in verse 10, And they cried out to the Lord in a loud voice saying, How long? That sounds like a time word, doesn't it? How long, O Lord, are you going to not judge the people on the earth? Apparently they knew what was going on on earth. They would just come, come from there. Verse 11 and they were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest, rest a little longer, a little while longer. That's another time word. Chapter 7, verse 15 says, um, there are those who come out of great tribulation. It says in verse 15, for this reason, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night. No, oh boy. And then verse 1 of chapter 8, and when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And then, remember with the trees that were growing beside, they gave you fruit, how, one a month. <laughs> Apparently there are months there. Apparently there's an hour, there's a half an hour. You see what I'm saying? Time, even though we, it seems so different, yet it, there'll always be a before, a during, and an afterwards, in eternity. Now God, comprises all these things. We don't. We're material, physical human beings. We will always exist in space, three dimensions, and time, fourth dimension. Apparently there are ten dimensions. I don't, I don't, I don't know any of those, okay? But angels do. They're interdimensional people. Okay. The new me, uh, <clears throat> and I'm just getting started. Glorified body, we will not become angels. I know that you see a lot of silliness that when I die, I'm going to become an angel. No, you're never going to be an angel. Uh, when we die, we change places, not persons. Uh, we change location, not species. Holy angels are created interdimensional uh, guardians of the created order, if you will. Supreme examples of proper creaturely subordination. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, it's a tough one here, chapter 10, or chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, it's talking about subordination, women wearing a head covering. It says in verse 10, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And then it gives the reason. The angels. Angels? What? What does that have to do? Um... <clears throat> Remember, they are supreme exempt. They don't, they don't even understand insubordination to God. They don't understand it. They've never been insubordinate to God. They've always obeyed God in every detail. So they don't understand it. 
And by the way, since angels are spirit beings, they are invisible, and they're probably here in this room. So keep that in mind. Somebody's watching you on this. Um, I remember once when Bobby and I were coming to Oklahoma City, it was a terrible ice storm. I I was coming to a funeral, and we were coming up the highway just west of Tinker, and I mean, it was ice was about that thick on the road, and I saw this guy on the on the other side, crossing the medium, jumping over the ditch, coming right up to where we were, and he was right in front of us. And I'm thinking, I don't want to hit the brakes. I don't want to hit the brakes. But I had to hit the brakes. Finally, I hit the brakes. He did too. And we did this do do at least two times. And then when it was all over, even we were on slow motion at that point, it was all over. I was sitting on the side of the road and he goes up the in in ramp on the other side, and I somehow the car started and went right back, and we went right on. It was one of those moments that Randy Alcorn says every now and then. I'll say, "Thank you. Look forward to meeting you." That was one of those minutes when I should have said, "Thank you," and I'm looking forward to meeting you. And taking care of me. He's, you've probably had one of these thank you and looking forward to meeting you moments. Well, we're never going to be angels. I don't know why I got off on that, but I just like to talk about angels. Anyway, we have a glorified body. We'll never be angels. We'll always be human beings. We'll have two levels of reality, physical and spiritual. We are actually a, a spirit that inhabits a body, and uh, the Bible calls that a soul. When, when, when you, you, these two things are together, they're a soul, a person. And, um, uh, they're, they're not, they're not one, and they're never, um, they're never separate. They're distinct. Yeah, a lot of people have trouble with this word separate and this word distinct. If you're separate, if your spirit and your body are distinct from one another, but they're never separate. If they're separate, you're what? You're dead. See how that works? As long as they're together, you're a soul. So they're, they're, they're distinct, never separate. Okay. So we're spirits expressing ourselves in a body, uh, considered to be a soul. We're formed from the dust of the ground. And our, this is our connection to the earth. We're from the earth. Uh, we're for the earth. We'll always be a part of the earth. Let me say something about the naked, Naked souls. Uh, Paul didn't know whether he was naked or he had a body when he was in the third heaven. It seems like the people in the third heaven now, we're talking about when people leave, when they die, depart this earth, they go to this third heaven, which is waiting to be renewed. They're in there. They seem to have some kind of body. I don't know. They've got something that they hang their robes on. I don't. And it's some kind of a temporary body because they're waiting for the resurrection body. So this is a little different. And I, you can't, you know, this is not absolute gospel truth, but it seems like, remember when angels appeared in the Old Testament? They seemed to have a body. Even Jesus appeared. Now, you could eat, you could talk to them, you could touch them, but it wasn't the final, wasn't the real, the final issue here. So I think something like that. I don't know exactly what. Anyway, when Jesus was on earth, you know, his body, uh, he could eat, uh, he, uh, he appeared 40 days, you remember, in and out with the disciples. Um, <clears throat> people saw him. He didn't glow. He didn't hover above the ground. 
he didn't sound like James Earl Jones. Um, you know, he could be seen, he could be touched, he could eat food, he could pass through doors. That may not carry over for us because he he is the Son of God. You know, some of the things he could do maybe that we can't do. But I don't know. I have to wait and see on that one. That might be interesting. But anyway, he is certainly the prototype of what we will be like in this glorified body that's awaiting us. Um, <clears throat> our human glorified body is going to be, it's going to seem like Superman compared to the one we have now, won't it? It's like, man, this is quite an upgrade. Anyway, so we have the same idea, identity. Will we be the same person? I mean, who else are you going to be? You, you'll be you uh, in heaven. Uh, you're not going to be somebody else. Um, Jesus always introduced himself and his resurrected body. It is I. It is I myself. So you will be yourself when you get to heaven, all right? Um, anyway, other questions. What we wear clothing? I, I think so. It speaks of when Jesus appeared, he was fully dressed. Okay, he didn't come. I know Adam and Eve, they were naked in the garden. But I think we're talking about an upgrade here. We're trying to get some pretty cool clothes here to wear. That will enhance our appearance and our, our comfort in heaven. How old will he be? Um, <clears throat> Thomas Aquinas says, be the age of Christ. Um, uh, others, others say that uh, maybe the same age of Adam when he was created with the superficial appearance of age. Remember, he wasn't a little baby. He was a full-grown man when God created him. He, he looked like he was a baby that was born and grew up, but he wasn't. He, he still had the smoke coming off of him. He had just been created by God. You may be that that age. That's a possibility. Um, certainly, um, others think you'll be the same age you were when you die. I hope not. <laughs> but anyway, um, Alcorn, Randy Alcorn in his book says, you probably <clears throat> remember, let's see, let's see. We'll remember people, when we see people, We'll, we'll, we'll see them the way we remember them. Like our parents will look like parents. And when they look at us, we'll look like kids. Maybe something like that. I don't know about that. That's a possibility. Um, anyway, uh, Jonathan Edwards says, we'll have them be inhabited by children. We'll, we'll have all the joys and exuberance of a child, but we'll be full-grown adults. We'll have, have all the fun that kids have, but an adult, you're not supposed to have that much fun. We're going to have a lot of fun in heaven. Will we eat or drink? Uh, you know, some of us know that eating is one of the delights in life. I've always thought, boy, there better be a Dairy Queen there. I'm going to be in trouble. But anyway, um, eating, I, some say that the eating habits of animals change. You know, instead of meat eaters, we become to eat straw. Maybe we'll become vegetarians. I hope not. <laughs> you never know. But uh, anyway, it's going to be different. Uh, someone has said the best meals you'll ever eat are ahead of you. Well, I thought I've eaten some pretty good meals, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, knowledge and skills. Uh, some people say, well, you won't need to learn anything in heaven. You'll know everything. No, God knows everything. You are not God. You will always be learning. That's one of the joys of eternity, is I'm never going to run out of stuff to learn about God and His great created order. So, He knows all things. We'll keep learning um, actually, he says this in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, where he's divulging these things to us. 
the present heaven will know. Actually, think about this knowledge. Did that people in heaven now? Do they know? You know, do they know I'm preaching today? Do they know this? Then? I think to a certain extent they do. Um, you have this influx of new residents, and they say, "Where are you from? You from Oklahoma City? Wait a minute. Do you know so and so? How's he doing? What's happening down there?" So they do know something. I mean, they can't see you, but they can get. You got new people coming in every day with it, and then you've got. <laughs> let me read this in uh, Luke chapter. I think it's fifteen. Luke fifteen and verse ten. Interesting passage here. It says, um, <clears throat> in the same way I tell you, there's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. Here's what you got. You got a sinner on earth that repents, angel in heaven jumping around with joy. So what we have is a blabbermouth angel. Sorry, look forward to meeting you. So they're going to tell it. And actually it says it's in the presence of angels. So, I don't know. Interesting stuff uh, that we will, we will know and we'll find out. As to our relationships uh, to people, uh, we'll see God. It's called a beatific vision. Uh, happy making sight, is the, literally. Uh, and of course, no one can see God and live, but because of what Christ has done for us, we'll be able to see Him. Uh, I think it probably... I used to argue in Bible college with people. Will we see the Father? Will we see the Son? Will we... No, no, no. Did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. Back and forth like that. But certainly, I think Jesus is everything we need to see of the Father. Philip, have I been so long with you and you asked me, show us the Father? You've seen me, Jesus said. You've seen the Father. So we'll be able to see Jesus and we'll have this wonderful relationship with Him. Um, when we know our friends... Uh, you know, I have trouble remembering your names. That won't be true in heaven, I don't think. I think uh, it, when you think about going to heaven, you won't have less knowledge than you have now. You'll have much more. It's interesting that at the transfiguration, the disciples saw Moses and Elijah, and they knew who they were. How'd they do that? How'd they know that was Moses? And Elijah? they have a picture of him? They saw him on a video. No. Somehow or another, we have this immediate, intuitive recognition of people. No name tags in heaven. We'll be able to know everybody when we get there. Hey, how are you? And I'll know your name this time. What about marriage? Well, you know, there was, uh, there was one marriage before the fall. That was Adam and Eve. A lot of marriages after the fall. And in eternal state, one marriage again. And that will be to Christ. We'll be all part of the bride of Christ. A marriage is uh, kind of a... Uh, it doesn't replace heaven. It should prepare us for heaven. It should give us a foretaste of this loving intimacy to another. And, uh, and of course, in marriage, I've talked to a young lady. She didn't want to go to heaven. Her husband wasn't going to be there. Boy, that's a loving, loving wife, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't go if he was there. But anyway, uh, certainly... Uh, we won't be married to each other. We'll be married to Christ. Be part of the bride of Christ. And all those basic needs that we have now that marriage fulfills, 
Well, there won't be those needs when we get to heaven, all right? We'll have all those needs met in Christ. The language just seems to be one common language. Everybody will be understood. In fact, you turn to, I'll throw another, another thing at you here. It's in, uh, Revelation 7.10, where they're speaking, and it says, um, Revelation 7.10, not 10.7. It says, um, and they're looking at a great multitude, no one could count, verse 9, from every nation, all tribes and peoples, and tongues, languages, all kinds of languages are gathered around the throne. And they're standing before the throne of the Lamb, white robes, and they cry out with a loud voice, singular, one language. Worthy is the Lamb, alright? You see how that works? Salvation to our God. So apparently we will say, we'll, we'll speak a language, um, you know, Adam didn't, didn't have to learn the language. He, he, he woke up talking. <laughs> he, he was speaking, I don't know whether it's Edenic or Adamic or whatever. And actually that was the, the world's language until the, Tower of Babel. And God came down and said, hey, hold this, hold. He confused their language. Well, this is going to be reversed, and we're all going to be able to speak, communicate with one another perfectly. What about animals? Throwing this in. Uh, if you have plants, why not animals? Uh, second most important inhabitants of the earth are animals. Um, remember when God destroyed the flood, destroyed the world with a flood? He made sure there was animals on that boat. Um, and certainly, uh, they're included in the Noah Covenant. Um, I don't know. There won't be tooth and claw then. It'll be different. Maybe old Shep will have a wonderful home. I don't know. But uh, I, I, God has always used animals to fulfill His purpose. They can appear to be Thinking, feeling, I know, I don't think they are, but maybe they are. I remember my father-in-law passed away not long ago. We were all in the room in the house and he was in a bed. And we, we had no clue. His dog started howling. The minute he died, the dog, ooh, we're all going, what's the matter with that dog? And my father-in-law had gone on to heaven. It's interesting. Animals are probably smarter than we think they are. Keep in mind, when Eve saw this serpent in the garden talking, she doesn't seem to be surprised. You notice that when you read that? Here's a serpent talking to her. She's, she shouldn't, you can't talk. Apparently, I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to communicate much better, uh, even with the animal kingdom. Um, what we do, you know, most people think uh, heaven's going to be boring. You sit around in a cloud. I should have brought a magazine, that kind of stuff. But no, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, free from sin, freedom to do everything God intended me to be and to do and to enjoy. Um, Luther says, if you're not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. Johnny Erickson talks about when she gets to heaven, she's going to be dancing. She's going to be laughing, dancing. We're going to have a wonderful time in this new heaven and this new earth. Certainly our primary occupation is going to be glorify God and enjoy and serve Him forever. All that we couldn't do here, we will do there. You ever gone back to the place where you used to live when you were little and you noticed 
boy, is this it? This is this doesn't look right. I remember going back to my high school and I thought, man, this place is shrunk. I don't know what happened here. But uh, things change. Uh, someone has said that uh, <clears throat> while we're gone, home changed, and so did we. Um, but of course, when we get to our new home in heaven, it won't be like leaving home. It'll be like coming home for the first time. Let me read you Randy Alcorn's uh, illustration of going to the party. It's worth the price of the book if you want to get the book. Imagine someone taking you to a party. You see a few friends and you enjoy a couple of good conversations, a little laughter, some decent appetizers. You keep hoping it'll get better. Give it another hour. Maybe it will. And suddenly your friend says, I need to take you home. I knew I couldn't get through this. But anyway, I need to take you home. You respond, now? And you're disappointed. Nobody wants to leave the party early, but you leave. Your friend drops you off at your house. You approach the door. You feel lonely. You feel sorry for yourself. You you reach for the light switch, and it feels like somebody's maybe in the house. You flip on the light. Surprise! Your house is full of people, smiling, familiar faces. It's a party. You smell your favorite. The tables are full. It's a feast. You recognize guests and people we haven't seen for such a long time. And then, one by one, the people you most enjoyed at the other party show up at your house, grinning. And you realize this is the real party. If you'd stayed longer at the other party like you wanted, you wouldn't be at the real party. You'd be away from it. A lot of our friends are faced with terminal illness, imminent death, often feel like they're leaving the party before it's over. They have to go home early. But the truth is, those of us left behind missing the party. One day we'll hear, welcome to the party. (laughs) We've been waiting for you. You may be here and you've never entrusted your eternal destiny to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, heaven is not your default destination. But this can be changed by repenting of your sin, trusting Christ as your Savior and your Lord for your forgiveness and your eternal welfare. May God enable you to do that today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving Your Word that gives us some kind of insight as to what the future holds for us as Your people. We're in Your hands and they're wonderful hands to be in. We we see the fading realities of this world. Help us to set our minds on things above Catch a glimpse of the glory of heaven, the real party that awaits all those who've changed their default destination by entrusting their eternal life to Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen.